I'm so super excited that you guys are joining us as we continue this series for the third week on acts of kindness. How do we move from dispersing random kindness into the world to actually becoming individuals who God can depend upon releasing the power of kindness every single day. Listen, we live in a world, if there ever was a time, ever was a time that we need to be releasing kindness into the world, into our politics, kindness into the world as we drive down the expressway or in our homes. It's now, guys. It's now. It's now. And today I want to talk about a particular form of kindness, and, and that is the form of kindness that's best described as empathy. Radical empathy. But first, I want you to note I'm wearing this little pink pin here. Uh, and I hope I got it turned up right. Yeah, it's turned up right. Uh, this is towards the end of Breast Cancer Month. And I'm wearing this pin just to, to, to acknowledge and to let those of you who are fighting the battle of breast cancer to know that we're standing with you and we're praying for you. And those of you who are fighting the battle of, of cancer and however it has expressed itself in your life. We are praying that God will move through medical treatment, but also supernaturally to work healing into your life. And we're also giving thanks for those oncology workers who are working behind the scenes, along with your medical team, uh, making a difference in your life. We celebrate and give thanks to them, give thanks uh, for them to God today. All right, let's get ready to move forward in our teaching today. We're at Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse uh, 25. I'm looking at the same passage each week through a different set of lenses. Uh, and uh, so let's jump right in. Luke chapter 10. Here's what the writer says. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And there is reading. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the very first time, and you may not be familiar with this story, which is often referred to as the great Samaritan, the good Samaritan story. Let me just summarize for you this, what's, what's going on here. Uh, a Jewish leader asked Jesus a very provocative question, hoping that it will demonstrate that Jesus is, quote, unquote, an imposter. By the time we get to the end of the dialogue, people are wondering, why did this young man ask a question he already knew the answer to? And so really, they are questioning his character. So to cover that whole thing up, he, he tries to make the conversation a more philosophical question. Who is my neighbor? Neighbor. And then the text tells us, beginning in verse 30, it says, well, Jesus... Jesus tells him this story, right? He tells the story of a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits, beaten, stripped, left lying in his own blood, half dead. He goes on, he talks about two Jewish religious leaders who pass by. One is a priest and one is a temple assistant. They see the guy lying there. They pass by on the other side. They do nothing. And then the despised Samaritan. We'll talk about what that despised word means as we move forward in this message. The despised Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion. Right there, right there in those words is empathy. Radical empathy. Watch this. He felt compassion for him, going over to him, 
the Samaritan moves into action. He soothes his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandages them. He puts the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and there he took care of him. Wow. Can somebody shout empathy? Can you say radical empathy? Here's my definition for empathy. It's the ability to actually understand and feel with another person, feel what another person is feeling, or to see the situation from their point of view. Psychiatrists have basically agreed that when it comes to empathy at its best, there are at least three components to authentic, powerful empathy. The first component is uh, cognitive. This notion of having an awareness of what the other person is feeling or thinking. We see this in the text because the Samaritan actually sees the guy lying there, realizes he's been beaten and he's wounded. He's, he's cognitive. He's got an awareness. The second is emotional. It's, it's where you, 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 you actually feel what the other person is feeling. We see this hidden actually in the text. It says, uh, and he felt compassion. The Greek word beneath that notion felt compassion means that the Samaritan felt something deep within uh, uh, that, that corresponded to the pain that the man was feeling. He felt the man's pain deep within. He felt for him. Now, Benet Brown talks about empathy in a variety of different ways. She's a contemporary sociologist. And the first thing she does is she describes empathy kind of this way. She said, if you have a friend who has descended into a really dark hole, and they look up and they see you at the top and they say to you, I'm stuck. It's dark. I'm overwhelmed. She says, how do you respond empathetically? She says, here's what empathy looks like. You get a ladder, you put it down, and you climb down where your friend is. And you sit right next to them. And you put your arm around them. Or you grab them by the hand. And you say to them, you don't try to fix the situation. You say to them, I feel you. And you're not alone. I'm here with you. It's a connection. You connect with them in their pain. She also teaches that there are two words that you don't want to use when you're trying to be empathetic uh, with other people. At least. So beware of those words. Delete those words from your vocabulary. Here's some examples. I, I took them straight from Benet uh, Brown. She says, if a friend of yours come up and tells you that they've lost a child, please don't respond. At least you can get pregnant in the future. Or, or if a colleague tells you that they're having trouble in their marriage, please don't respond. Well, at least you're married. Right? You've got that to look forward to. <laughs> or if, um, if your adult child comes and says that, that your grandchild, John, is flunking out of school, well, please don't respond with, well, at least Sarah is making straight A's. She says the temptation for us to use the term at least, everybody shout at least, to use the term at least is that we're trying to help the person to feel better. But more often than not, words don't help people to feel better when they're sitting in a hole, stuck, it feels dark, and they're feeling overwhelmed. More often than not, the one thing that, we, that, that tends to work is really connection, connecting with them in their pain. Empathy is, is, is feeling with someone. Everybody shout with. So it's not words that matter here. More often than not, it's connection. This is what we see in the Samaritan. There's a connection between him and the person. He feels the pain. So the first is cognitive. I want to be aware of what the other person is going through. The second is emotional. You know, do, do I feel what they're feeling and ready to share in it? And the third one 
third component rather, it's compassionate. And this is what psychiatrist describes is that, that the feeling causes you to kind of spontaneously move to help. Yeah, there's something in you that says, I've got to do something about this situation, right? And we see this in the Samaritan in the text. You know, he feels compassion. And then the next thing we see in the text is, what does it say? He says, after he sees the man, he feels the compassion. And then he goes into action. He soothes his wounds. He puts him on his, bandages him, soothes his wound, puts him on his donkey, carries him to the end, takes care of him. He goes into action. Wow. This is what... Uh, Terry Givens refers to in her uh, very popular book, Radical Empathy. This is, what she, this is one dimension of what she calls radical empathy. This notion of feeling the kind of compassion that moves you into action. Here it is. Shout radical empathy. That's what I really want to talk about today. This notion that Jesus calls us in this uniquely broken world to be instruments of radical empathy. Now, let me just say that, that what we saw in this text, well, it says that the man felt compassion. Jesus is telling the story. We see this phrase used with Jesus again and again and again as he moves forward in radical empathy, as, 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 as he moves forward to help. For example, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, it says that, that, that Jesus steps out of the boat and there's a huge crowd of people around and they've got all of the sick people with them. And it says that he's moved to compassion. And the next thing we know, Jesus is healing. And then in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he's standing and he's looking at a huge crowd in front of him. And he says, my goodness, it's, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And the next thing we know, he's moved. The text says he's moved with compassion. And then he proceeds to teach them. And then in Luke chapter 7, verse 13, come on, uh, he's, he's passing, he's walking, and a funeral procession passes him by. And it's a young boy on the, on the, uh, that's being carried, has died. And he looks at the mother weeping, and the text says that Jesus is moved with compassion. And then he says to the mother, don't weep. And then he moves into action. He touches the, the bar, the casket that they're carrying the young boy on, and the boy stands up. He raises the boy from the dead. That Jesus moves through the world as an instrument of radical empathy. All right. All right, let's back into this. So we see that Jesus figures the Samaritan person in the story. What is it that makes his empathy radical? Well, number one, he's on a very dangerous road. People are being jumped on and beaten up and, and killed all, the, all up and down that road. So in a sense, he's risking his life. But secondly, he's remarkably sacrificial. He uses his own resources and his own animal to care for this person and transport this person. Remarkably sacrificial. But there's one other element that makes this this Samaritan, an instrument of radical empathy, it really breaks open our understanding of what we really think about when we talk about radical empathy in our day and time. But I want let me just back into it. Back into Listen for this third element. Let me back into it this way. Jesus essentially, as he begins to tell this story, he is essentially uh, asking two questions. One is an explicit question, and the other one is an implicit question. The guy asks him, well, who is, who is my neighbor? So as Jesus tells this story, he's re-raising this question. He says, look, okay, let, let, let me ask you as I tell this story, who's your neighbor? Or who are you called to act neighborly through to? That is the kind of explicit question. But then uh, there is the implicit question. 
uh, that he's asking as he walks through this story. He's describing four categories of people in this story. And essentially the implicit question he's asking is, which one of these categories best define you, where you are in your life at this very, very moment? Now, let's just look at these two, these, some of these categories as we walk it through. The first thing that we see in verse 30 is that the man who's a Jewish man leaving from Jerusalem, going to Judea, going down to Jericho, is attacked, of course. He's beaten and stripped and robbed, left half dead. So the first group that's identified here, the category that you should address yourself is, uh, am I among those who attack? Am I among them? Am I an attacker? Are you always in attack mode, right? Are you the person who, when you come home and they ask you how you're doing, you growl as a response? Is that you? Is that you? Are you the person who's, who's so sensitive that people got to walk on eggshells around you uh, because they're afraid that you're going to explode? You're always in attack mode. Are you the person who, 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 who is ready to give people a piece of your mind or that just curse them out at a drop of a moment? Are you the one? Are you among those who... Here's another way of thinking about it. It's found in this word all. Everybody shout all. What's remarkable is that if you were Jewish, particularly a Jewish leader in Jesus' day, you had a certain way of thinking about Samaritans. Notice he said the despised Samaritans. You thought you, you, you despised generally all Samaritans. In your mind, all Samaritans were pagan. They were heretic. All Samaritan, you demonized, generally speaking. You, 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 you had a view of all Samaritans that way. If you were a Samaritan, you had a view of Jews, and you thought all Jews had a superiority complex, right? Right, that the way all Jews interact with Samaritans is you're thinking, shout all. All Jews interacted as though uh, they segregated themselves. They wouldn't let you worship with them. They wouldn't even pass through your town. So you had a sense of, this is, this is all Jews. This is who they are. Now here's the interesting thing I want you to make sure you know. Whenever you talk about a whole category of people by saying all of that category of people are a certain way, it's like taking a bat and attacking everybody in that group. Let me give you some examples that you might be familiar with. Now, this is the person who would dare say, all white people are racist. Or all black people are dangerous. Or all rich people are greedy. Or all poor people are lazy. Or all non-English speaking coming from Latin or Central America are illegal immigrants. Or all Republicans are are super conservative on every issue. All Democrats are super liberal on every issue. And when you use this term all and you stripe across an entire group, what you're doing is you are stripping every person in that group of their, of their individuality and you're robbing them of the uniqueness of their own story. Beware of how you use the word all. And when you are one of those persons who say, oh, ah, it makes it difficult for you to be radically empathetic. And then the second group is really reflected by the priest and the temple assistant who pass by. They see the guy lying there and they essentially move forward and ignore him. So the question is, are you among those who ignore 
Are you so busy racing from here to there that you, you, you just don't have space in your life to ever be interrupted by the needs of others? I got a text from a young man who's a partner of NBCC, and he was sharing with me how uh, yesterday morning, I think it was, he was driving in his car on his way to work, and he noticed uh, somebody off on the side. They were pushing this heavy load, and he was thinking about my teaching the previous week on the releasing the power of kindness, and, and he was struggling with whether or not he should pull over and help this person, or should he move on to, 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 to go on to work. He said he ultimately made the decision to drive on to work, given the timing and the circumstances, etc. He had to go to work. But when he texted to me, man, I celebrated him. I said, this is wonderful. This, this is great. Because, because the point here is, is that you notice and you cared. And sometimes you're going to notice and care, but the circumstances will not allow you to help. But there'll be other times you're going to notice and care, and the circumstances will allow you to help. So I celebrate the fact that he was noticing and caring, responding to this series. It's beautiful. I hope you get that, right? Some circumstances you can be helpful. Some you can't. Some are safer than others. You've got to make good judgment. But you're always thinking about it. As a matter of fact, he texts me later on that evening. He says when he got home, he saw, uh, I guess, the FedEx worker uh, was, was, had a big thing he was carrying or she was getting rather, and, and they were like 10 houses down from where they were supposed to be. He went over, offered his assistance, and helped get them. He says, you know, change starts with small things. I'm so proud of him. Yeah. He dared not be one who would ignore. What about you? The third group is the group of the victim, right? The victim. The victim lying there, this Jewish man lying there in his own blood, pulsating in his own pain, was, did not have the ability to help anybody else. He couldn't even help himself up. Some of you are listening to me. You're sitting in a seat there in our San Jose campus, and, you know, you hear about be rich, and you hear about other things. But, you know, the best you could do was just show up today for worship. Somebody's, the best you could do, uh, somebody else, you opened your computer, you turned on YouTube, and the best you can do is just, just watch me. That's your best deal because you're just, you, you're wounded, man. You're wounded. You're wounded because you, you, this is your third tragedy that you've gone through in the last six months. You, you're wounded because you're wrestling with something so colossal in your life or in your home or in your family that you're just totally worn out and the best you can do is just tune in and connect and I just say to you just keep tuning in just keep showing up and may the Holy Spirit work through our worship and through our collective love and through the teaching that happens here to bathe your wounds facilitate your healing perhaps you're saying I'm the victim but then the third category, yeah, the third category. Third category is, is, is the, the quote-unquote despised Samaritan. Now let me return to this question. What made the despised Samaritan um, radically empathetic? Well, one, as I said earlier, he was willing to risk his life for this person. Two, he was remarkable sacrificial in utilizing his own resources in this context. Oh, but this is the third one. This is the third one. Lean in, lean in. If you're sitting next to somebody, just tell them, lean in, lean in, lean in. You need to hear the third one. This is what breaks it wide open. Listen. What makes this really about radical empathy that speaks to us in our day and in our time and our culture and in our family context 
is that he was willing to risk his life and utilize his limited resources sacrificially for an enemy. For an enemy. That's right. For an enemy. And as Jesus tells this story, there's a crowd standing around him. Part of the crowd is made up of Jewish people. Part of it made up of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Among them are some Sumerians. And listen, man, if you're Jewish, you are stunned with this story. Because, because as, I, as I taught several weeks ago, Jesus is telling this story in such a way as to critique his own tribe. Because Jesus is Jewish, he's really talking to the Jewish people. He said, listen, guys, uh, you see that Samaritan over there who you despise? You see that Samaritan over there who you've been treating hatefully? He's closer to modeling what God requires of all of us than you are. You're not as good as you think you are. But then he depicts the Jew lying there as a victim. Could it have been that Jesus was saying that the reason why you treat these Samaritans so hatefully, the reason why you despise them so, is because you see them as the source of your woundedness. Wow. Yeah. You see, the Samaritans had done some things that they weren't really thinking a lot about there. Jewish uh, counterparts. And since since the Samaritans are kind of like the liberal branch of the Jewish community over generations, you know, they, they just wanted to be able to marry who they wanted to marry and meant they married interracially and across culture. They, they wanted to be able to import some other pagan religious practices into the Jewish practice so that, you know, they could mix it up a little bit. You know, that's kind of how they were thinking. But to the Jew in that context, what the Samaritan did was ultimately... Uh, was to desecrate the Jewish religion. And if you were a Jew in that context, you, you, you were almost uh, indistinguishable, if you will, from the religion. And so these people who are desecrating your religion publicly in your face, it is as though you are violating them. And so the reason that they treat them so hatefully and, so, and they see them as such despised folk is because they see them as the source of their woundedness. And perhaps as Jesus tells the story, their eyes comes open. They never thought of themselves as victims. The Samaritans in the group, they're shocked as well. They're stunned, actually. Because they had a lot of things to say about Jewish people, but they would have never thought of the Jewish person as being one who's a victim. They never thought of them inside of their own woundedness. This person is wounded. Wow. And all of a sudden, the Samaritan comes over. And he sees this man there. Now we've backed into what I call the power of story. Everybody shout story. Yeah, we all have a story. We all have a narrative. And one of the challenges is that so often, you know, you've got to be vulnerable in order to expose your story so that people can engage with it. And it's, 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 it's in the, it's, and we see the, the change happening is, is, is when suddenly the Samaritan is exposed to the story of the Jewish person. Exposed. 
That is what causes him to no longer see this Jewish person as a part of the all, all of the Jews. Like, no, 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 no. He's exposed to this man's story. No, he doesn't know the man's name. He doesn't know his address. He doesn't know his birthday. But he sees enough of what's going on to get a sense of his story. He knows that the man has been attacked. He can see that the man has been stripped and beaten and robbed and left pulsating in, a, in his own pain, lying in a, in a puddle of blood. He, he, he saw that much of his story. Wow. And the moment that he sees that much of his so-called enemy story, that is what activates radical empathy in him. He sees his story. Back in 2017, August of 2017, some of you, if you're here in America, you recall it was the time of the Charlottesville, what I call crisis, real catastrophe. In Charlottesville, the city councilmen had voted to take down Robert E. Lee's statue. He was a Confederate general during the Civil War. People gathered down City Hall to protest that, and among the protesters, not all of them, but among the protesters was the folk from the white nationalists and KKK and neo-Nazis. And sooner the anti-protesters showed up. And the next morning, the hundreds had turned into almost, I don't know, tens of hundreds out there. And, and it just got nasty. And, and a young woman lost her life. And somebody drove a car and a couple of police. It was just terrible. But the night of the event was captured on, pitch, on film. Uh, these neo-Nazis were walking with these ticker lanterns and they were marching around and they were saying, the Jew will not replace us. The Jews will not replace us. The Jews will not replace us. Horrible. I have a former staff member by the name of Celeste Wooten and she worked with us for a number of years. She now lives on, in Maryland. And she shares a story that she was watching this on TV. Celeste is an African-American woman. And, and so she recognized that the target of that hatred was not just the Jewish community, but it's also African-Americans. And, and as she was watching this on TV, her blood is boiling with anger. The phone calls, the phone rings, and it's her mom on the phone. And she's talking to her mom. And in order to hear her mom, she turns down the volume on the TV. And as she's talking to her mom, watch this. In the absence of the sound, it is as though the Holy Spirit did some interpretation and her eyes begin to see and her ears begin to open. And Celeste describes the moment like this. She says, I saw their lips moving. And she said, as I saw their lips moving, it was as though they were saying, you will not replace us. You will not replace us. You will not replace us. And she said, in that very moment, she recognized a part of their story that she had been completely oblivious to. That these folk were, 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 were acting out of their sense of woundedness, their sense of victimization. That's where they were acting. They, that these were people marching who were essentially declaring, that, feeling like their rights were being trampled on, feeling like their legacy was being dismantled, feeling like the future that they had worked so hard for their children was being stripped away from them. And suddenly, Celeste says that as she, as she began to recognize that they were acting out of their woundedness, she, she was exposed to a broader sense of their story, that that boiling anger that was within her turned into compassion. 
but she was, she says, her heart broke for them. It's like, well, I wonder how can we help them? Wow. Does that make what they were doing right? Absolutely not. Does that mean that their perspective on reality was true? Oh, of course not. Not, not but, 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 but. But what does it mean? It means it was their truth. It means that it's their story. It means it was their perspective. And in that moment, as horrible and ugly as that moment was, ah, Celeste, Celeste, she began to sense radical empathy. Wow. Wow. Oh, now, now you understand it, don't you? Now you understand why the same Jesus who's telling that story about the Good Samaritan, now you understand why he says in Matthew chapter 5, why he says, you have heard it, heard the law declare, say to you, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And in this particular context, the neighbor, as as is defined in in the law in that context, those in proximity with you, those who share your values, those who share your religion, those who share your politics. He says, you've read the law declares, come on now, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Those who are on the other side, come on now, you're the Jew, that's the Samaritan. You're the Samaritan, that's the Jew. You're the Democrat, that's the Republican. You're the Republican, that's the Democrat. Come on, you're on one side of abortion, they're on the other side of abortion. You, you get the point, right? But he says, I say, love your enemies. Wow. Pray for those that despitefully use you. In other words, Jesus says says that, 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 that you need to recognize that they're coming at life out of a place of woundedness. And you and I have got to engage, find the courage, find the radical empathy to engage their story. And prayerfully, they will engage our story. That's the secret of the gospel. That's how the gospel continues to be the hope of the world, right? That's, that's, that's why Jesus' followers are, 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 are positioned to be the light in one of the what emerging most dark times in our history. Well, how, 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 how do I do this? How do I engage the stories of folk who I have considered as my enemy and people who consider me as their enemy? Oh, I love the way you ask your questions. I like it. I like it. I like it. A few weeks ago, uh, in, a, in a message I called the gift of diversity, I talked to you about what I call the Jesus first paradigm. And, and I, I name it as Jesus first paradigm because, because, because Jesus should be the highest point of commitment for us. And here's what we learn about Jesus. Jesus is uniquely interested in other people's story who's on the other side of the issue. Here's what uh, Hebrews chapter 4, one of my favorite verses, verse 14 says. It says that we do not have a high priest in Jesus who, who, who cannot empathize with our weaknesses. For he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. And yet he is without sin. He, 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 he knows what it's like to be you. Come on. He's powerfully empathetic. And he demands that those of us who follow him, that we're interested in the other person's story. Yeah. So the other person's story, that kid that you're having trouble with, that teenager, that you just can't get. There's a story there, right? Are you interested? That parent that just can't see it, doesn't have the same worldview as you have. There's a story there. Are you interested? And embedded in these stories are always some pain or some fear, Right? Come on, that, 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 that colleague that thinks radically politically different than you, and you just don't like being around that person, you know, but there's a story there. There's a story there. Are you interested? Wow. 
Well, how do we dialogue using the Jesus first paradigm? Let me just let me just walk you through this quickly. I'm almost finished. Number one, we need to train ourselves to get in dialogue with folk who are different than us. And the number one thing we have to do, number one, is we got to listen. Listen to the stories of others with compassion and thoughtfulness. And, 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 and one of the things you got to get into this with a question, right? This is, this is what it means to be radically empathetic. Come on now. Is you ask the question, can you tell me your story? Or can you tell me how this issue that we're talking about, how does it affect you personally or the people that you love? And you listen. You don't listen to debate. You listen to learn. Secondly, you feel. is the power of the empathy here. You see it, Right? It means acknowledging and engaging with the pain of the other as though it's your pain. We call this perspective shifting. Yeah. You, you, you dispense with your judgment for a, a few moments. And you put yourself in their shoes. It may not be your story, but it's their story. It may not be the truth, but it is their truth. And you honor and you respect that. And you articulate. Remember, it's connecting with people in their pain. You articulate. You connect with them. I hear what you're saying. Wow, that must be horrible. I can't imagine that. And thirdly, you share. Yeah, you express your feelings and thoughts and convictions honestly with them. Essentially, okay, after you've done some, some affirming and, and being with them in their pain, can I share with you my story? Right? Can I share with you how this affects me? And so you express your convictions honestly without dismissing or devaluing their story. No but here. Right? This story and so, but, uh, let me just tell you moments. And oftentimes there's perspective shifting in that kind of powerful dialogue if the hearts are open, right? But at the very least, you, you can establish boundaries. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And, and, and here's what I would talk about. You, you clarify areas of agreement and disagreement. And you create space so that you can keep loving each other. And you let, if you're Jesus, you let Jesus be Lord. He'll have to be in charge of all that stuff you can't control and you can't fix and you cannot handle. You let Jesus be Lord. Wow. Is this easy? No. But it's worth it. it will, this, will this fix all of the areas of disagreement between you and those that you love? No. But it might heal some broken relationships. It might facilitate a brand new beginning between you and those that you love. Listen, I say this regularly. You may not be able to light up the whole world, but you can light up the room that you're in. You may not be able to change the toxicity of the environment of our national politics, but you know what? You can perhaps change the environment, come on, of your office space. By learning how to be interested in the story of the other who is different than yours and not allowing the media to define their stories, not allowing the political pundits to define their story. No, no, you need to talk with me and I need to talk with you and we've got we've to see each other in the context of the authenticity of our own story as an act of radical empathy. That is at the heart of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me, let me end by challenging you. This is a week. Every week we're spending time praying. I want, I want to challenge you to pray one prayer for yourself. And then I want to challenge you to pray for others. This, we're two weeks out from an election. All kinds of crazy stuff is happening. I want to make sure that you as Jesus follow. That you're part of the solution. You're part of the healing. Not the opposite. 
So here's a prayer I want to suggest that you begin to pray for yourself. I call it the sp- praying for a spirit of empathy. Say this out loud with me. Say, Lord, open my eyes so I can see, see others. Open my heart so I can feel, feel the pain of others. You may want to take a picture of that. And then you transition to what we call our be rich prayer. I want to take a picture of this as well. You're spending five minutes a day and you're praying this. But this week, we're asking you not just pray, but we're asking you to pray and fast. If you go to our Bewitch website, we'll talk about uh, the dimensions and how to go about fasting. But suffice it for me to say here, fasting is when you give up stuff to create space for you and God. When you give up stuff to, 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 to come in touch with that longing that you need for God to move in your life. Some people will give up food or a meal. Some people might fast social media for this week. Some people may fast their favorite TV shows at night. And they create space for scripture and for prayer. And whenever they feel that longing, they translate it into a prayer. God, we need you to move. And here's the prayer you're praying. God, I'm praying and fasting for a spirit of empathy. Lord, open my eyes that I might see my heart that I might feel. But not just for me. A spirit of empathy and peace and healing and unity take charge of our nation and our communities and our families. Yeah, let us prepare starting today to pray and fast for supernatural move of God in the area of radical empathy beginning with me. Amen.